Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. See, this week I was planning to do an episode on this book uh, made in Soviet Union in 1983 called Eto or This Should Be Known by Everyone. The problem is, I was about to make fun of the book. You know, it's a uh, kind of civil defense book. But it's actually not funny, because the book is really good and useful and actually has valid scientific information on how to survive um, nuclear blasts and chemical assaults and whatever. So, yeah, it just wouldn't make for a funny episode. I'd make, like, like a duck and cover thing from the 50s, except better, because this one's actually good. And I know that it's good, because I have my friend here. His name is Aritz Pyaglis, and he's the leader of the Latvian Transhumanist Association. He's also going to have a chapter in a real scientific book, and he's also have a few scientific publications. I mean, he is the uh, exact science as kind of guy. He's just around here to tell you some of the stories of the scientific community of what happened here in Latvia from at least 2000 or so, I don't even know, but he's managed to get himself into some quite a few interesting hard science adventures. And also, uh, yeah, we're continuing our fundraiser because, you know, we're, we're about halfway there uh, from our 450 euro goal. So if you want to see me in Harvard, please go and hit that donate button on our homepage, theeasternborder.lv, because I'm going to Harvard and reading a lecture there. But, you know, without further ado... um. I'll be asking some questions to our friend here at its Pyaglis, and um, if you want people's studies, then, you know, have them, because, you know, I, I've heard quite a few of these things, but what Aretz has to say, and turns out, life of a scientist in the post-Soviet sphere is pretty fun, comrade. Hi, Aretz. Hi, Christops. Um, so, as you probably heard, my name is Aretz Pyaglis, that's A-R-E-T-S. I'm the leader as... as... <laughs> As I was so uh, glorious leader, the glorious leader of the Latvian Transhumanist Association, uh, a computational neuroscientist by night and a software developer by day. You have a chapter in the scientific book. What book is it? Yeah, the book is a little bit outside my primary field. Uh, it's an adventure uh, of a sorts. Uh, basically, the book is called Liquid Biopsy, which is. Uh, the fancy term for medical analysis of the various bodily fluids we have, and uh, the chapter is on using uh, deep learning and uh, machine learning techniques in general uh, to extract useful data from the liquid biopsy uh, results so that we can use things like neural networks and uh, classifiers and stuff like that to predict, say, cancer or Alzheimer's or, or, or various other severe conditions. Uh, the book will be out late September, probably interesting mostly to the domain experts, which excludes me. Uh, in your student years, I know you had a lot of experiences in the Astronomical Society of Latvia. 
So could you please share some? That's uh, actually kind of a, a, a complicated thing. I did work for a while in the Latvian Society of Astronomy, but before that I worked in what's called the uh, Foundation for Development of Astronomy, which is sadly defunct uh, today. Uh, but um, basically it was a small volunteer group of uh, professional and amateur astronomers dedicated to, well, spreading the good word about the science of astronomy. Uh, we organized events and actually built a couple of observatories in Valmier and in Ventspils. Fun was had. Um, and, yeah, I have some stories uh, back from the day. Do you want me to start about the Estonian astronomers and the telescope? Yeah, then let's get to the one where you almost choke a guy. Oh, we will. We will. Sorry, comrades, uh, this is still uh, Eastern border, so, you know, there might be violence and, you know, rude language in the stories. Yeah, some rude language may follow, because these stories are very hard to convey properly without actually bringing up the emotions from that time, and the emotions from that time are sometimes rude. Story goes like this. We built a educational observatory in Valmer, in the uh, in the Valmer State Gymnasium, um, and um, it, it was a nice little piece of work uh, usable for both teaching astronomy and for amateur field work, and uh, some months after we finished it, it was in early September, I believe, uh, we had a delegation, not we in particular, but the state gymnasium had a delegation from the uh, Tartu uh, University in Estonia. Teachers and, and professors from, from there uh, basically came here to see Valmier, see the, uh, the, the, the Baltic University, I think it's called officially, uh, and... Uh, on their way, they dropped by in the state gymnasium and um, and the observatory. So, uh, I'm sitting in the observatory tower. It's it's hot. It's a, it's a hot September day. Uh, the tower is poorly ventilated. Uh, I'm sitting there because I am told that you know important people from important places will drop by and you will have to do your best to introduce this thing to them. And sure enough, they dropped by three gentlemen and a lady, uh, all professors from Tartu University, mostly from the departments of physics and astronomy. I showed them around, show our sun watching equipment, the, the projector screen, the, the follower, the astronomical tools. And, of course, the telescope, because that's the centerpiece, right? Uh, we had a decent telescope, like 18 centimeter, 20 centimeter, decent-sized telescope, uh, uh, Newton-Cassegrain system, if anyone's interested, reflector, so it uses a big mirror to focus the light from the distant objects and then project it into the eyepiece. They take a look, they, they take pictures, and they politely ask if they could use the telescope to look around, to check it out. Mind you, it's bright daylight. It's, it's the middle of the day, and I'm slightly confused. What exactly do you want to see? The Communism, of course. <laughs> well, the sun is uh, kind of uh, behind the clouds, and it's already going down, so it's not perfect for sunspots or, or whatever. Uh, but they are polite, and they say, that, no, we just want to, you know, see at least the distant horizon. Just take a look into your telescope, and, well, why not? I set up the telescope, I open up the roof of the tower, which is opened by a system of ropes and pulleys, because we didn't have a proper motor back then, lift up the telescope, and, and I'm going to, to set it up. When they interject, no, 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 we are professional astronomers and physicists. I'm pretty sure, little boy, that we will know how to handle a telescope. Okay. Sure, 
I sit back and let them handle the telescope. Well, they aim it at the horizon, apparently, take a look into the eyepiece and grow silent for some reason. They exchange some words in Estonian and um, they fiddle around with the controls with the screws uh, of the telescope and take a look again. And, well, long story short, they leave very disappointed because the telescope apparently was not working uh, after uh, some ten minutes of fiddling around with it. So, basically, they leave and I go looking what the hell was happening to that telescope because a telescope is not that complicated a thing to see something out of. And what to my wandering eyes should appear, but the fact that they uh, didn't lift off the lid, the the lid against dust and dirt and stuff, from the business end of the telescope. Um, so, they were looking into pure blackness, sure enough. I'm not the one to perpetuate stereotypes, but you know, all these jokes about slow Estonians, well, there you go. The disclaimer is I'm normally a relatively peaceful person. I have foul mouth, but I don't really... Except my... the killer robots. Don't talk about the killer robots before the year 2030. So, yeah, but I rarely raise my hand against anyone for any reason, but that that particular time, that really brought out the worst of me. Uh, so, yeah, where do we begin? Uh, we were organizing, we, the, the same foundation for development of astronomy, we were organizing these yearly um, open-air astronomy events or, or, or parties, partially in competition with the similar parties organized by the Latvian, for, Latvian Society of Astronomy. We were good-natured rivals in a way. They were much better funded. We were not bound by the rules of the university so much. So, this is a annual event. Late August, I think. Near Valmier this time. Valmier is a nice town slash city some hundred kilometers from Riga. It's a, it's a city by Latvian standards. It's a city by Latvian standards. It's a town by everyone else's. A bit further off, uh, there are large flat meadows and and fields suitable for for organizing large open-air events. So this year we wanted to show off. We wanted to uh, really give them, give the guests, the the, the event goers, something, uh, something special. So basically, with the help of European, European Union, that those were the early years of such thing being possible, with the help from the funds of European Union Science uh, Science Development Program, we had bought a professional grade telescope, costing some twenty five thousand lats, I think. Not all paid by ourselves, of course, but. but a really valuable, delicate, and uh, awesome piece of hardware that allows you to see Mars the size of a teacup up there and, and, and see actual galaxies, the spiral arms of the Andromeda galaxy, and, and, and see every tiny detail of the moon. All in all, a really nice piece of semi-professional... semi-professional astronomy hardware, uh, and that, along with a bunch of other hardware we have brought along, it's in a tent in the field, and we have commanded a first or second course student from, and this is somehow important, from the Latvian University Department of Physics sub-department of optometry. So basically a guy who really should know a thing or two about optics and about um, the properties thereof. So, this guy is basically standing guard 
at the tent, uh, because the locals are already pouring in to see our car. We had a car with portable observatory on top, a large, big-ass truck with the observatory tower on top, and, of course, the tent full of interesting things. Um, and we ourselves are still waking up from 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 last night's preparations. We're drinking our coffees, and we're shivering in the damp, cold morning. Um, and here's this guy galloping across the field towards us and yelling, Guys, guys, I know you didn't ask, but they cleaned your telescope. And at that very moment, a cold shiver runs through our bones because the thing is, you don't really clean professional hardware unless explicitly necessary. Uh, those few specks of dust that can gather on the, the mirror, they will be perfectly invisible because the focus of the mirror is so far away. It's a telescope. It's, it's for watching and astronomical objects. One of us, I don't remember which one, we were four people there. One of us, already uh, nervous, asks him, what do you mean, clean the telescope? Like, with the compressed air balloon, sure, not with the uh, water and, 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 and alcohol mixture for the uh, photography equipment, right? He replies, like, no! I uh, I saw there was some dust on the mirror, so I basically took the arm of my sweater and just rubbed it off. Uh, you got some little fishes. I, I I we knew that the telescope was dead at the, that very moment because see the professional grade optics uh, usually has uh, several layers of optical coating on top of the lens or the mirror, and uh, on really big-ass, expensive um, optics, uh, some of these layers that are meant for precisely guiding the, the, the light uh, and uh, regulating the refractory properties, uh, they are semi-solid, they are like thick gelatin, under no circumstances whatsoever should you touch them with so much as a brush. And yeah, we ran off to the telescope and sure enough, uh, in several spots the mirror was see-through now. And that was basically a moment where I legitimately, sincerely wanted to choke the living shit out of the guy because... Um, uh, not only was it a sudden and irre irreversible loss of uh, monetary value, it was our best instrument, which we were uh, planning for and, and, and gathering funds for, for the best part of two years, gone because of sheer idiocy of a completely unrelated third party. And... Uh, of course, he was uh, trying to shrug it off like, I didn't know, I, I, nobody told me the optics are so sensitive. And uh, uh, here's a great quote from another guy called Ivis, uh, my ex-colleague from the same foundation. Right, you didn't know, and for how long did you shit on the lid of the toilet before anyone told you that it must be taken off? So, yeah, the event, of course, happened. We used our older, smaller telescopes and stuff, and we threw the guy out, obviously, but, um... Well, the telescope was gone. Uh, we sent it back to the service, and they politely replied that, guys, it will be less expensive to buy a new one than for us to repair it. So, yeah... As you guys by now should know from my Space Race episode, it was like episode 12. Oh boy, I've been doing this for such a long time. Uh, I don't even know where episode 12 is. I've been getting copyright claims on that one for a while now, but because some beeps apparently resemble some electronic music of the modern era. But the Russians have been using the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. 
And the Soviets had their own space program. You might have noticed that one. But uh, when you had space shuttle, we had something called Buran. Or the storm. Something of the storm. I think it's a storm. It's a snowstorm. It's a snowstorm. It's a hailstorm. Hail it's a hailstorm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that was the name of the spaceship. And recently, kind of relatively recently, some uh, tourists went there and found out that in the outskirts of the Baikonur Cosmodrome, because it's a huge place, uh, there were like two of them half-built in an hangar there. And it was just amazing for them to photo that thing. But, you know, uh, Americans just went in there with photographs. The problem is, we have a friend, Boris, who's apparently going to arrive here later uh, this evening. Because uh, he didn't want to be on the show personally. But I wanted to conclude him, because I've seen the pictures of this thing, which he has blatantly stolen. Let's be honest here. But as he found out that there were actually half-built Burans, he went there and he stole their motherboards under guns. And uh, he's more of an honest friend than mine. I'm going to meet him tonight after this episode is recorded. I can't show you the pictures, sadly, without his permission. If he will allow me to, as I will meet him, then I shall post pictures. But for now on... You should know that this is Boris, and uh, the stories from Boris are interesting because he's the guy who has a, uh, apparently, according to legends about him, a folder on his desktop which is called Porn, where only old motherboard pictures are being held. Well, not just motherboards, all electronics of all kinds. Yeah, but, but mostly tell, but, military. But please, please give us the story about Boris. And the Baikonur Cosmodrome and, and stuff. Well, I have seen the pictures. To be honest, I don't really know all the details because uh, this is the one project, let's call it that, that he is still kind of secretive about. But essentially. Because he'll get arrested. Yeah. Yeah. But essentially, the story goes like so. After those two Americans uh, went and photographed the half-built Boron prototypes or or or, or, or uh, whatever those were, um, because those things were in oh, yeah, late and you, can, and you can Google this up. Just Google up Buran, Buran pictures or something, and you'll get the photos from those guys. Yeah, honestly. Uh, and they were in the late stages of construction. Like all the hulls and the the, the plating is already in place, and and uh, some of the electronics, which is the hero of the story. Uh, and uh, basically, yeah, the Baikonur Cosmodrome is enormous. Uh, it's not just the launch tables, the launch pads and uh, supporting infrastructure. It's step. It's it, it, it's enormous grassland. Every now and then there's a hangar, there's a tower, there's, a, there's the remains of some sort of building. And uh, in one of these, in a huge boxy hangar, that no one apparently knew what what's actually in there. Not even the guards. They they were like, eh, there's some old pre-Soviet fall electronics or hardware or something. Uh, they found these these two uh, marvelous pieces of Soviet engineering because they actually were really awesome. Uh, their uh, their launch vehicle, the Energia uh, Energy. Uh, was in all parameters quite a bit better than the equivalent uh, space shuttle launch vehicle and so forth. Well, sadly, it didn't any manned flights, but um, there you go. So, after these news uh, started to circulate that two of these, these things have been found, uh, people were starting to go there, mostly to take pictures, but not us, no, not not, not us post-Soviet people. Uh, we went there, well, not me personally, yeah, I, I we haven't... Went, we went there to steal shit. We went there with, with, with socket wrenches, and uh, yeah, uh, the 
gain from all that is a small pile of exquisite looking like these this military hardware has has a special quality to it. Everything is in gold. Everything is ceramic. Everything is lacquered. Uh, there are no botching, no 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 extraneous wires, no nothing. Uh, basically, a small pile of of uh, circuit boards. I'm not even sure what those are. Some of them look like some communications equipment, some of them might be power supply boards, who knows. Well, Boris probably does. He's a god among the hardware nerds here, um, because uh, he and uh, some other guys that will, sadly, have to remain unnamed, uh, they uh, have been taking pictures uh, of all sorts of military hardware and uh, posting them in uh, a, a, a public forum, actually. Uh, we will add the link to it later. There are photos of, like, um, missile uh, guidance systems and old radars and radio equipment of all sorts and kinds, and uh, some of it actually can be seen in real life in the Avionics Museum of Latvia, which is right next to the uh, airport. There are all sorts of things. There are old military and uh, service helicopters and, and planes and rockets. Well, sadly, without the payload, but, you know. Not to go... Uh, thinking that uh, he's the only one capable of <laughs> absolute crazy bullshit. Uh, from the same people I worked in Astronomy Foundation, Ivis, I mentioned him, he was the guy with the toilet lid phrase. Well, this one is not so much about the tech as about the daily uh, lives, so to speak, of the people actually doing these things, of the... Uh, scientists to be or engineers to be the stu the students of the Latvian University Department of Physics and Mathematics wait is math related to science i don't know man i don't know that's we, we had to put a Katy Perry quote here we had to do it i'm sorry sorry i see you're a man of culture as well <laughs> uh. <laughs> no no but seriously i mean uh if I, if I get to ask questions to Neil deGrasse Tyson, is math related to science would not be one of those that I would ask. Indeed. So, uh, the story goes that in the mid to late 90s, um, in the campus of uh, the physics and mathematics department, there was the second floor uh, in the, the campus house, that was specifically uh, designated for housing all the degenerates, alcoholics, and miscreants that, for some reason, couldn't be simply thrown out. But which is which is which is where me and Aritz would find their lovable little place and warm spot of love. Most and, likely, and... most likely. Uh, because because if if you comrades think we're doing this sober, <laughs> uh, basically the sec the, the the mystical second floor where uh, lived mostly the kind of people where you would like to see leave and don't come back, but for some reason you really can't at the moment. Uh, either they are steadily paying their university fee or, or, or they still somehow manage to get really good grades or whatever. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. So, they are shipped off to the second floor. I'm not sure why the second, because it had the, the, the building has three floors. And uh, the third floor inhabitants has to go have to go through there every time, but yeah, so it was. So these fine people, uh, Iverson Company, are obviously drinking um, one early-ish evening. One bucket of vodka at a time. One bucket of vodka at a time. Well, basically, actually, yes, they brought, as uh, as it was told me, um, they brought a box of vodka. Not a box of beer, a box of vodka. And uh, apparently they were completely determined to finish it off. And at one point, well, you know... I mean, who, who didn't? Well, sure. And at one point... And remember, it's the mid-90s. Internet is kind of here, but not so much, and certainly not in the campus house. Everyone has grown bored. Uh, all the stupid jokes uh, have been told and retold, and, and no one has really any idea what to do with the drinking. So, of course, as one does, one of the, uh, one of the drunks... Uh, comes up with a brilliant idea. Uh, he takes a uh, liter can of peas, I think, of some preserve of some sort. Basically, a tin can, the volume of one liter, fills with acetone, got from God knows where, fills it with acetone, puts it in the middle of the floor and lights it on fire. So, basically, everyone sits around the communal fire. They're looking at the meter-tall, bluish-green flame and uh, having a better time, at least, until one of them, near the window, yells in full volume, Jesus Christ, the... the, the uh, the, the, the dean's coming. The dean is coming, and with him, like, two members of the university council. Which they are, uh, uh, they're walking down the path among the buildings, and apparently one of them notices the, the flame in the window, and the dean runs, uh, runs upstairs and basically starts losing his shit. What are you absolute idiots, brainless pieces of shit doing? Are you trying to burn the place down? Do you even know who I am? I am the dean. I can kick every single one of you out i can i can withdraw the the, st- the stipends i can do whatever i want with you and that's on the floor with the alcoholics and yeah. all the other general miscreants who you know uh, I, I presume the second floor ended up with the best scientist laughing he's ever seen well you're not wrong <laughs> Most people graduate. I mean, I mean, it's not a requirement to be an alcoholic. It's not a requirement, but it somehow happens along the way. Um, so yeah, basically, he has completely lost his shit. Ives, who is already shit faced, obviously, uh, thinks, well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, and he lifts oh, his flesh. <laughs> He's li- he lifts his head glassy-eyed even more so and uh, looks at the dean and asks in the blurry, slurred voice of a long-time alcoholic not even candles are allowed? Upon which the dean was apparently like, s- pointing, pointing out at the huge pointing, fucking point, pointing his finger at the giant tin of acetone burning merrily in the middle of the room and apparently the dean was so astounded and speechless that the only thing he could reply was no not even candles are allowed and he left apparently every one of them got away with just writing a, you know written explanation of their mis- misdeeds uh, 
without uh, any uh, punishment, without without anything. Yeah, but you know, I have I have to continue a bit here because you know my my day job right now is in fixing things. Uh, I fix iPhones, MacBooks, on drones from DJI. There was a drone that apparently a lifeguard had thrown into the sea. Literally thrown into the sea. He had flown it face down into the sea trying to film something. And then it wasn't enough, because once we got it at the service, and I'll make a huge episode just about, you know, the adventures of Eastern European uh, phone slash drone service. But yeah, uh, the idea was that... um. He managed to drop it into the sea, then he held it on his car roof for 8 hours, while uh, paranoically, systematically googling up what the hell should you do with a drone. Then he found out that, hey, drying it out is a bad idea if it's salt water. So he poured from a hose, uh, friggin' uh, normal, like, drinkable water on it. Then he decided that, hey, Hey, this is a lot of moisture still in it. So what about, you know, I'm still on the seaside. I shall now purchase some uh, li- some some cleaning liquid for boats, for, for the motors of boats and just douse my drone which costs about hundred which costs about like 1500 euros uh in this liquid. Then after that uh, he decided that you know, yeah, I've done with the, I've done with the liquid, I've done with the salt. Now I'm gonna bring it to the service, which he did. He was quite honestly surprised when we told him, laughing that yeah, his drone is beyond repair, and that you know he had actively participated into his drone being irreparable now. But what I want to ask you, by the way, Arats, is that. We have all these funny stories about, like, students and everything, but what's the funniest thing that has happened to you with your transhumanist society? What, what, what even is the transhumanist society? Oh, that's a... That's let's, a let's get to some more, like, serious points here. We haven't lost, like, 15 minutes of the conversation, that's so, a, so please go on. That's a good question. Well, transhumanism is basically the idea that uh, just like we improve our living conditions in the world, we invent new plant uh, cultivars and, and, and we, we, we terraform already livable earth to, to, to something more fitting for us, uh, just uh, the same way we can use uh, the discoveries of science and technology to improve ourselves, our bodies, our brains, uh, so that we can, for example, live longer and uh, avoid uh, all sorts of genetic disorders. And, like death. And ultimately, perhaps even death, one way or another, that is a really long and complicated topic on, uh, on its own. But yeah, for example, maybe it's possible, who knows, but maybe it's possible, for example, to digitize your brain, uh, basically... To scan it, uh, the details are massive, but anyway, uh, and to put it in a computer so that you, or at least something that is very similar to you, may live on without the limitations of biological decay and um, degradation that so far inevitably follows in the life of every one of us. <clears throat> See, the thing is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm making this Eastern European podcast here, but a lot of people have asked me about whether or not, you know, do you have any real science going on there, whatever. The thing is, Aritz proves that we're not a backwards place. We actually oh, have no, there's a, things. Oh, no, so. there's a lot of good science going on in Latvia. Uh, it is uh, severely underfunded. And it uh, doesn't really have the recognition it perhaps uh, could use, but uh, the work is there, and there are uh, many very competent and brilliant people doing good work in all uh, in the, in the across the entire spectrum of, of uh, STEM disciplines. Um, so yeah, basically transhuman. Oh, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not understood. So yeah, basically transhumanism is this: 
Uh, we can use science and technology to improve ourselves just the same way we improve our environment and uh, the various entities in in it. And um, wait, wait, wait. So does that mean that you're trying to make Deus Ex real from the video game? Well, yes and no. Yes, in the way that uh, it is definitely already happening. There are cybernetic limbs with sensation built in with touch and temperature and pressure. There are uh, replacement legs and eyes and all sorts of things steadily getting better by the day. Uh, There are people, including our little team, uh, but there are far more uh, competent and well-funded than us uh, that are actually actively working on the great task of digitizing brains and uh, perhaps one day running them in computers. So that part is completely true. These things are happening. Uh, On the other other hand, I really can't predict what turns uh, society and politics will take Regarding all this, it might turn out something like Deus Ex, it might turn out something better or worse, or completely different. The fun stuff that we're doing is we're trying to inform people of all this, so that they may better serve our robot overlap, so that basically when these changes uh, arrive in full force that people are not completely scared, completely um, out of the water, uh, because what do you do when suddenly in society you can design your baby, you can uh, select which genes uh, they will have and have not, like, uh, what if you, I mean, it starts simple enough. You take out something that probably no one wants anyway, like predisposition to cancer or or or, or Daltonism or, or any number of genetic disorders. But then you get inevitably to the point where, for example, you can not only fix what's broken but improve what's already um, uh, relatively healthy. Uh, what do you do in a time where you can select uh, your future children for intelligence or good looks or, or, or strengths, agility, whatever? Uh, all these things are either already in some research stages or are at least uh, theoretically possible. So, at one point, we, as species and a civilization... Uh, will have to face these things and uh, decide what to do with them. Uh, so one of the things we do is try and inform people that all of these things have their upsides and downsides, but nothing is so black and white. Nothing is completely harmless or completely uh, or completely evil, just like in every uh, everything else, just like in every other application of technology. Well, uh, how will we and Americans? live in the future where everything's digitized. Well, and that's a fucking complex question that, that is you an prepared for. That is, an incre- yes. that is an incredibly complex question and of course one that I, I'm not in any capacity qualified to answer with any certainty. Uh, well, cultures will live on in their way, in their own way. Uh, they will change. They will adapt. Uh, as they have since where, since whenever. Um, how since beer was invented, and that's s- not a joke. Since beer was invented, that's really not a joke. Beer really kickstarted a lot of things. Uh, how will any of these cultures look in a 50 or a 100 years after these immense technological changes have uh, started to happen? I don't know, but, uh, well, uh, to quote a fake Chinese Chinese proverb, uh, may we all live in interesting times. So, but basically the the, the really funny story of our mm, time here as the Latvian Transhumanist Association is probably this, and this is one I haven't told anyone, uh, including 
my mate Christops here. So basically, there is this thing called the Future Day, which is a small uh, impromptu celebration. It's not a holiday, but it's basically a day where, unlike every other holiday or, 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 or celebratory day out there, Basically, instead of uh, instead of uh, celebrating the past and the achievements of our ancestors, and uh, which is what I do, fine. <laughs> uh, we opted for one day among all these, where we celebrate what is yet to come, which is, of course as vague as it gets because who knows but uh, yeah basically this is a day where people come together uh, and uh, discuss what they have done to change the future what they think uh, the future will bring and uh, try to focus on the good and the constructive aspects of it so uh, this is celebrated in uh, March uh, the 1st every year uh, it's not an official day, but uh, transhumanists and futurists and... So, <clears throat> back to something completely different. And yet not so much, because this uh, the, the next story... Just shitting in a bucket is what we do here. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the next story is going to be about... Um... Shitting in a bucket? Uh, no, but it is going to Close be. <laughs> it is going to be about difference of opinion and uh, understanding each other or not. So the uh, two uh, future days ago, uh, in 2016, which was actually our second future day celebration, the day of the future, the day of the future. We were gathered together in in one of the tea houses of Riga, a nice little establishment called Apsara. Yeah, it's it's really nice, and uh, basically we are such a co- such a constant customers that basically everyone is giving us discounts and, and greeting us like honored guests there. We had gathered there the, most of the association, which is like twenty people, a number of guests from from our facebook page uh, which you can by the way follow if you want yeah please do by lo- by looking up latvian transhumanist association in facebook you will be taken there that's if you want to follow a very obscure latvian organization that this is yeah should... yeah exactly so basically we are something like 30 people which is near the capacity of the tea house at least the lower floor. We are sitting around tables moved together and sipping tea or beer or or whatever, talking about this and that and, and the, the, the glorious future, the, the things that machines will bring us and the things... 2030 and the killer robots. Oh, yeah. The things that machines will bring us and the things they probably won't. Um, yeah, so basically, there's a guy... A relatively decent-looking uh, elder guy, maybe like 50 years old, uh, with his lady companion, wife, something. And uh, they're listening kind of intently all the time. And we have in our conversation uh, arrived at what I was talking about before, about brain uploading, basically. And uh, he goes like... but. You can't preserve a mind by uploading the brain. And I'm like, okay, well, why is that? Well, everyone knows that the mind is not located in the brain. Most of us kind of grow silent for a bit. And and, then one of us, I think Boris, is like, maybe you could explain your your big idea. Well, where is it then? Um... well, everyone knows that the mind is is a separate entity from the body and you can't really put it in a computer. Uh, this is futile. You will only uh, bring about monsters, uh, at which point uh, I, uh, we kind of understand what kind of guy this is and we do our best to ignore him because the last thing we want is an hour-long futile rant uh, 
uh, it's not really worth it, so we are going on with our conversation, we're not throwing him out, because why would we? And at one point, uh, he rises up, takes one of these, you know, the small candle holders with the, the, tea, the tea candles, still burning, by the way, and uh, yells at his full voice, Blasphemers, your assholes and abominations and uh, he throws the candlestick candle holder at Boris he gets his face full of paraffin he gets uh, hot paraffin in his beard and hair well then we did throw him out uh, while well, we called the, the guards uh, the, 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 of the, the tea house and we did throw him out but yeah Basically, we have a martyr in our midst that has suffered for the cause of transhumanism. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not even sure the guy was a Christian, because the name of God never even escaped his, his mouth. He, he, I, I know. Who, who knows uh, what kind of person he was, but he was an asshole. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go, I want your final words on it. My final words, if any, would probably be Do, the... Uh, you, you have an audience of about 70,000, 70, and... Uh, CIA listens to you here now, so hi, hey. Hi, CIA. And uh, and Russian secret services as well. Hi. Um. Yeah. Basically. Please don't kill you. Would be my, nice. Uh, please, please don't kill me. I will be very angry when I come back. Um. But uh, my final words uh, would probably be, uh, the future will be stranger than we can imagine, not just we do imagine, and uh, we won't be prepared for it, but uh, at the same time, please read, absorb information, communicate, and don't be assholes to each other. And we're gonna do our best. See you guys. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.